My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. All but two Republicans who voted to impeach the con artist formerly known as President Trump have lost their bid for re-election thanks to Trump's army of devotees. Today on Irishman in America, Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post previews the midterm elections that matter and the further fallout from the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Marion, how are you doing? I'm very good, Jonathan. How are you? I'm pretty, pretty good. I drove to Dundalk twice today uh, to provide the necessary documentation to move my car from England to Ireland. <laughs> so I do feel like I'm stuck in a bit of a time loop. Uh, but, moving's great fun, Charlotte. Stop it. You're only pretending. We oh, all yeah. love to move countries. <laughs> but, you know, there there's definitely some parallels with what we're seeing with uh, Liz Cheney, because it, is this something that's just going to keep playing itself out over and over again, that anybody who speaks ill of this man will face the wrath of his voters? Pretty much. Uh, certainly in um, the the House of Representative elections, the Senate is a little bit more nuanced, and, and uh, we can explain that. But first of all, you know, frankly, it's so depressing. The first thing that Harriet Hagerman said after Liz, after she won, she won and she trounced Liz Cheney, you know, absolutely trounced her, was a lie. She went on Fox News and she claimed that Liz Cheney had refused to concede. She wouldn't concede. And Liz Cheney did the only thing she could do in that situation. She released the call, the taped call of her concession, where she says, hi, Harriet, congratulations. I concede, you know, thanks. And, and you know, so why this is to me, it's just the single most, as I say, depressing and infuriating thing about all these Trump lickspittles, which is really what they are, uh, that, that they just, you know, they, ca- they can't even be gracious in victory. <laughs> they can't mm. even be magnanimous in victory. It's, it's, it's quite staggering. But look, um, yeah, you mentioned there that the 10 um, House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump following the January 6th, basically the, the two have survived. The two that have survived their primaries are in, one is in California and one is in Washington, two of the most liberal states 
in, well, the two most liberal states, Washington State, in America, you could argue. So they have so far survived because I think that the, the, the prospect of an extreme right wing of a Marjorie Taylor Greene, shall we say, t- you know, taking foot there is, is not that likely. But of the others, um, they, they've either resigned or been driven out of office. They've been defeated at the polls or resigned. And that just shows that you have, as I say, literally out of the 10, you have two that may may win in November. It's not guaranteed, but they may. Um, with the Senate, you had um, a challenge to Lisa Murkowski, the Alaska senator, who also voted for Trump's impeachment. Trump absolutely loads her as well. Um, she she or she voted for to convict him in, in the Senate during the impeachment trial. Uh, but she is very popular in Alaska. Uh, she's seen... Alaska's kind of a weird place because there are a lot of MAGA people there, but it's also, and I don't mean this to sound pejorative, it's also basically a, a welfare state within a federal country. Um, and so many people in Alaska rely on welfare, rely on subsidies, rely on everything that they tend to be a little bit more moderate and they tend to prefer Republicans who are a little bit more moderate in their views. They don't want all of the things that they currently get from the federal government to be slashed and burnt, which is mm. the sort of Republican uh, go-to at the moment. So, uh, and plus Lisa Murkowski's family are well known in Alaska. She's and she's been a good senator. She cares about things that Alaskans care about, and you know. So I think that she will be okay. And um, I think the Senate actually, just in in terms of the midterms, it's worth as you say preview, previewing a couple of the Senate seats. I would predict that. Um, the House, the Democrats will more than likely, I can't see any way, just given the trends, there are, there are only two, um, just to put this in perspective, only two presidents have won the the, the, um, the midterms, after their parties have won the midterms after being elected. One was George W. Bush after 9-11 when the whole country had rallied behind him. The other was FDR back in the 1930s when he took over in the middle of that, of the, the country was literally on its knees and they wanted to give him the powers to fix it. And back then the country wasn't nearly as partisan as it is now. So I, a, apart from that, every president who is, you know, elected the, the the immediate midterms following his election? They always lose, and um, the, the the house, right. the, his party always loses. So history is against Joe Biden. So is inflation. So is the price of petrol, although it is dropping. And so is the partisanship, the bitter, awful partisanship in the country. But having said that, I think that the Democrats won't just keep the Senate. I think they may actually pick up a seat or two in the Senate. And if they do, it would almost be worth the loss of the House because then they can finally stop having to pander to Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Cinema. So where I see the Republicans being vulnerable, they've... What they've done is they've they've they the Republican primaries for the Senate have basically selected three god awful candidates um, to to take on Democrats. Uh, the first one, as we know, is in Ohio, where you have um, J D Vance, who who's just like the stuff that he's coming out with is just really really absurd. All of us say stupid things, and I happen to say stupid things very publicly. And for example. Well, Oh, I mean, you know, everything to do with, we'll take the Ukraine, that Zelensky's a thug and a nut, and, you know, he's all on board with the stolen election. He's all on board with, you know, he, he's just gone, He, you know, he wrote his book and that the, the, the 
hillbilly elegy and that got mm. him a sort of an audience on liberal tv because everybody was saying oh here's this hillbilly who's explained to us why they're all hillbillies in hillbilly country basically yeah. and uh, but he, he's got very extreme views on, on a lot of things on you know things like parents rights so, you know that parents should be running schools and a lot that is popular with republicans but as i say about arms about you know gun rights about election theft about abortion he he's he's sort of out there with marjorie taylor green and of course conspiracies as well um so the democrats have a pretty decent candidate um in in tim ryan up in ohio he's not going to set the world on fire but he's solid he's decent and he's well liked and i think confronted with the craziness because the the difference between the the um house races is it's a small district and they're all gerrymandered basically at this stage which means that they've all been carved up so that it's you know one party or other is virtually guaranteed to win but with the senate it's a whole state everyone votes so mm. you're more likely to get a, a more, as I said, a more nuanced result. And I think that by and large, you know, there, Ohio is huge Trump country. It really is like his MAGA base up there is ferocious, but it's not the whole state. You know, it's not. And so I, th I think that the Democrats could actually end up taking that seat. I also think that they have Dr. Oz, oh dear God, in um in in Pennsylvania, who is just turning into a clown car. I mean, I think he always was, but he's going around now doing these ads of him shopping in supermarkets, picking up lumps of broccoli, calling it something else by mistake. You know, his campaign is a car crash. Uh, and they they do have a very popular guy in Pennsylvania, um, John Fetterman, who's the former uh, lieutenant governor. He's well-liked. You know, Pennsylvania is a purple state, but I would say that the parts that shade blue are, are the urban parts and they're slightly bigger than the deep red sort of Trump parts. So I think that uh, the Republic, I think the Democrats could also pick up a seat in Pennsylvania and Herschel Walker, um, who is the, again, these are all the Trump endorsed candidates. The candidates yeah, the ex-footballer. Um, Herschel Walker is the NFL footballer, huge NFL star back in his day. And, you know, he was a great football player and frankly, he should have stuck with football because some of the things, again, that he said about, you know, they just don't make sense. He also claimed that he owned companies, companies that don't actually exist. He lied about his college achievements. And in 2020, he falsely claims that he knew a mist. To, he knew of a mist that prevented COVID. Watch this. Do you know right now I have something that can bring you into a building that will clean you from COVID as you walk through this, this dry mist? As you walk through the door, it will kill any COVID on your body, EPA, FDA approved. A mist that will clean you from COVID? But also, um, his wife has come out and said that he recently, you know, in, she wrote a recent piece where she said he held a gun to her head, he terrorized her, he bullied her. He wrote an op-ed in, gosh, I read it in one of the papers last week, saying, this is so mean because I'm mentally ill. Um, now, I'm not in any way you know, deriding or belittling mental illness, but you don't, you know, you don't do that if you're running for the Senate. You don't say basically, yes, if I assaulted my wife, it's because I suffer from mental illness. It's just not a strategy that mm -hmm. that 
you use you know it's it's it, it, so it seems that he, uh, at the moment uh, there is a Democrat in that seat in, in, in Georgia, uh, Raphael Warnock. He's a pastor. Again, he's well-liked. And I think the Trump, the Trump thinking here was to pit a black man against a black man, basically. Right. Uh, so, so, but, um, but what I about think Sarah Palin? Like what? What's happening there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a story that we covered some time ago. The comeback kid, the comeback of all comebacks. It is crazy to think that it's fourteen years since she yeah. resigned and managed to get this role as running mate with John McCain. I'm currently reading the Obama book, and it is hard. You scratch your head when you remember how at sea she was on all range of issues and yet she, here she is again making a go but we might drop in a little clip of uh, what she's been saying of late this is life changing what's coming up here in the midterms the change that are needed and it's no longer democrat versus republican this is all about control versus freedom it's It's good versus evil. It is a spiritual battle. How is she getting on, Mary? Well, you know, Alaska, American elections are so damn complicated in, in so many ways, and yet they're quite crude in other ways. Um, Alaska has, has different um, rules, basically, for running elections. Uh, they don't have a Republican primary and a Democratic primary, like California, uh, the top two, three or four candidates go on to a runoff in November. Now, she's in the top four, but she's not. It takes a long time to count the Alaska votes as well. She's in the top four, so she will be in the November runoff. But it's not guaranteed that she's going to win. Now, I, you know, Sarah Palin's power in America, it's a bit like Liz Cheney's in, in America. It's kind of more outside. Liz Cheney is much more powerful outside Wyoming than in it. And the same is true for Sarah Palin. She has become a much bigger figure outside Alaska than in Alaska. I mean, if you count, you know, the secret dance, the secret singer or whatever it's called when she dressed up as a big mm. pink bear and, you know, all that kind of thing. But, but we shouldn't, you know, it, it's people dismiss Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin basically perfected the formula that Donald Trump used yes. to become president. Distrust of the media the whole yeah, lot. The she, first, she drew the map. That sort of folksy populism and, you know, make, bringing everything down to the lowest common denominator. And it doesn't matter if you're clueless. It doesn't matter if you know nothing, because by God, you know enough to know that guns are good and God is good. And yeah, parents and you got great their, instinct. That was and, the other and, one. Great instincts. Oh, yeah, great. But, you know, in, in a way, Jarlett, she did have great instincts, just as Trump has great instincts, because they instinctively know what people want to hear on the far, you know, extremes of the party. And they have brought those people to the center and they now run the, the Republican Party. So, yeah. you know, their instincts are a, a blunt instrument, but they do work. They do mm -hmm. manage to hammer other people with these blunt instruments. So, as I said, it is easy for people to dismiss Sarah Palin, but Sarah Palin really is more responsible, as I said, even than Trump for, for the 
the Republican Party. Well, no, that's not true. She was the originator. D- mm. the, the genesis of this change started with her. Trump saw it and spotted it. And Trump being Trump went, oh, you know, I'm going to take that. I'm going to rob that idea. And I'm going to turn it into something that's going to be much bigger and it'll be all about me. And, th- and that really is, again, very crudely put, more or less what happened. So Sarah Palin has Trump's endorsement. Um, you know, w- we'll see. As I said, she's still she's still in the running um, and she may win. Um, she may not. You know, I, I, I don't know. I think I think it's very possible that she would win. But it'll be interesting because do you know, at the moment, the Margie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Bobarts and all those, they have like front row at, at the Republican circus in Washington. If Sarah Palin comes in, even though they're all cut from the same cloth, more or less, are they going to appreciate her, you know, stealing their thunder and dominating? Because Sarah Palin does have some kind of an appeal that resonates with the American people and the media always pick up on that and they, you know, they give them a huge amount of time and it becomes chicken and egg. Are they powerful because they get so much media or do they get so much media because they're so powerful? I would say that they become powerful because the media just re- regurgitates their every utterance. Mm-hmm. But but um, so I think it would be interesting if Sarah Palin does end up going to Washington. She'll certainly get a lot of media coverage and it'll be interesting to see how she gets on with her, her fellow far-right radicals, as I say, that you know, the, the, the Matt Gaetzes, the Lauren Bobarts, because Sarah Palin does like to have the spotlight on her. And so do all of these people. They're in Washington not to do work there, you know, to, to do the boring, mundane business of legislating and whatever. They're in Washington to be on Fox News. You know, Matt Gates, Lauren Bobart, Paul Gozar, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, and, and a bunch of the, of, of their cohorts. Their, their role, as they see it, is to be on Fox News, is to get as much publicity for themselves. They're sort of, um, I remember, it was a Republican actually who called them, we were having a chat a while ago, congressional Kardashians. And, you know, that's to insult the Kardashians because the Kardashians work hard. You know, whether you like what they do or not, but they are in Washington to have the spotlight on them, to have everything they say and do documented, to stir up controversy and to just make headlines. So, so I think I'm really actually, you know, th- these midterms, everyone, all the politicians say every midterms will be pivotal. But if you look at the class of, we'll say, 22 that will be coming in to, to take over in um, January 2023 if they succeed. It, they're, it's, they're so extreme. Now, you know, Congress has always tolerated more extremists than, you know, back in the Bush era, you had Tom DeLay, you had all Newt Gingrich. It's not that it's, it's anything new to have extremists in uh, Congress, but at the moment, it's that there are so many of them and they're driving the bus. Now, Newt Gingrich, of course, drove the, drove, drove the bus back in the 1990s. Uh, but, but, but I think now that the fact is that there, there are just an awful lot of these of Trump worshipping extremists who are getting ready to be elected and who probably will be elected because, as I said, of the combination of that they're in gerrymandered districts. Uh, Trump's base loved them. Trump has endorsed them, which, you know, does seem to count for something in a lot of these races. And and uh, I think that if they get in, which they probably will, um, the, the 2023 Congress, the one that will run until 2025, is going to be you know, it's just going to be chaos, even more than it is already, because at least at the moment, the Democrats have gotten a surprising amount done. 
not once they got around their own people, once they got around, you know, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, um, they've gotten a surprising amount done. And and Biden's approval rating has ticked up a couple of points in the past week. It's only three or four points, but at least he's turned it around. You know, the momentum has has the momentum of his approval ratings dropping like a stone has been stopped. And I think yeah. that that is important going into the and they're all the Democrats finally, finally are taking out a ten million dollar ad. Um, and saying, look, this is what we've done. This is what we've done the last two years while all this crazy stuff has been going on in Mar-a-Lago and everywhere else. You know, you think they might have thought of that sooner. But I think I was saying to you before on the show, Charles, they need to do literally like at three billboards outside, you know, Billings, Missouri, the the Martin McDonough film. They Mm. need to put it up in big block letters in small towns all over America. This is what we've done. While all this, while this, circus has been going on in the foreground this is what we've been doing and they have a lot of things that benefit the american people you you know as well as i do that even if those billboards are up every time somebody goes to fill their tank on their car they're seeing another billboard right in front of their eyes someone's been leaving their wallet and Um, they blame this man for that and that there's no getting away from that i find it i find the sarah palin thing so fascinating and also how she's nearly on a collision course with donald trump himself their their careers are so such strange uh artifacts of our time in that she went from being a politician to being a reality tv star he went uh-huh. from being a reality tv star to being a politician <laughs> they, they swap buttons uh, in the middle yeah. of the, you know. <laughs> and, but similarly he's gone down this extremist route that you mentioned that maybe people will pull back from this is again the suggestion that this is potentially what could happen and that she might actually be a more palatable version of what he was selling when I guess he lost the run of himself. We've so much more to get to. I said at the top of the show that we'd preview or preview to an extent the primaries, but so much is happening, including Alan Weisselberg, Trump's organizational financial chief, pleading guilty to tax fraud and agreeing to testify against the Trump organization course there's the release of the mar-a-lago search affidavit we need to talk about and lots lots more i had an idea though for another section that we might include as a bonus for our patrons who support the show and that is like a flashback section marion i want to put this to you in the podcast that so many times in the obama book that i'm reading i think jesus marion was there for that when that happened what was that like so i think we we might I'll give you a preview of the ones that I'm most interested in hearing from you on. And we might ask the listeners if there's a moment in American history from the last 20 years that you want to hear what it was like to be there on the ground at the time. Ping it into us, irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. The first one I really want to hear about is when the financial crisis hit. And maybe I'll ask you about that in the second half of the show. But which of those stories there from Alan Weisselberg and the affidavit do you want to talk about next, Marion? Because they're they're both so important. 
Well, I think that they they are both really important. And we could start with with Weisselberg because there is a kink in this plea deal that I'm kind of perplexed by, to put it mildly. I I think that we should try and maybe unknot it and and, and see where it leads to. Uh, So happy to go with with the Alan Weisselberg first. And then then we'd certainly talk about the the grounding affidavit. Basically, the grounding affidavit to the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago is what the judge saw. This is what the FBI and the Department of Justice presented to this magistrate uh, down in in South Florida and said, look, this is why we want to do a search of Trump's property. And whatever was on that grounding affidavit, the judge said, fair enough, knock yourself Mm. out, boys, or words to that effect. Well, the the question I'll definitely ask you about that in the second half of the show is whether it's normal to withhold an affidavit like that. They're saying that it would compromise the investigation. But again, we'll get into that in the second half of the show. Alan Weisselberg, if people don't already know, chief financial officer for uh, Donald Trump's company and one of the one of his most trusted guys, right? He's, you know, he's up there with Cohen. He pleaded guilty to tax violation on Thursday, yesterday, uh, further complicating uh, Donald Trump's legal woes, which are many. Uh, he has been charged with accepting more than 1.7 million in off-the-books compensation from the former president's company. Can you break it down a bit further than that headline, Marion? Sure. Okay, so Alan Weisselberg, just to repeat what you said, he's been with the Trump organization. He's 74 years of age. He's been with the Trump organization for more than 50 years. He worked for Trump's father first as an accounts clerk when he was in his early 20s. He never left the company. Uh, I remember speaking to a vice president of the Trump organization. Oh, it would have been about four or five years ago. And he said, which has been said so many times, he said, if you want to know what goes on that organization, ask Alan Weisselberg. He said, the kids haven't a clue. You know, he said, they're not smart enough to understand it, basically. And he said, but Weisselberg, and he said, Trump, in fact, in, in a lot of ways, doesn't have the patience and, and the, you know, he, he, he gives the, the instructions, basically. But that Weisselberger is the guy who dots the T's, uh, who dots the I's, cross the T's. Why do I always use that expression? <laughs> I always get it backwards. <laughs> Yeah, well, in that organization, I feel like sometimes that was happening. I think, I think they were. I think they were yeah. crossing the eyes and dodging. <laughs> Save it on ink yeah, for <laughs> their own good. But but um. So anyway, the the. the um, Weisselberg, as a, there was a big investigation into the Trump organization, and they thought that as a way of possibly getting Weisselberg to cooperate, they discovered that he had, you know, done a tax evasion scam to the tune of about $1.7 million over a 16 year period. Now, what it involved was he had a free, he didn't declare benefits, basically. He had a free car park in Manhattan, which anyone knows costs as much as an apartment that he didn't declare. He, um, but his he was paying for his grandchildren's. Um, he was getting cash payments from Trump, basically from the organization, which he was using to pay for his grandchildren's um, education at a private school in New York. Wasn't declaring that. Wasn't declaring a whole bunch of perks that are all taxable perks that he thought he had buried. And you know, I was looking at at the, the some of the documents, and it was pretty crude what he did. I was thinking, this guy's the CFO. Jeepers. Yeah. You know, you think he'd be a little bit more careful about about burying his tracks but there is an arrogance that happens in 
private companies and family companies like that, where nobody's really looking at anything normally. And you can, you know, you can, you can bury it all under all kinds of things. So anyway, he was indicted and uh, he pleaded guilty on Thursday morning to 15 separate counts. They're all felony counts, which means they're not little slap on the wrist summonses. You know what I mean? They all carry potential prison sentences. Uh, and it's, it, so he, he received a five month prison sentence. Now, because it's a state court, he will serve that sentence in Rikers. Nobody wants to go to Rikers, put it that way, least of all a 74-year-old man. He won't do the full five months, but he'll probably do three months. Uh, wow. and, and in that Rikers is Island. Rikers Island. It's it's the most one of the most notorious prisons in America. It's it, it's in it's up sort of slightly upstate New York, and it has a reputation for brutality, for violence. Now he will obviously, I'm sure, receive some kind of protection in there because he he you know who knows what what dangers he could face. But but um, it is something that, as I said, that he will have to. This is not a guy who who knows too much about the inside of a prison, you know. Mm -hmm. So this this would be, but his his plea agreement, and this is what I'm just a bit curious about, and I don't really. It may become clear at some point, but uh, usually, if you get a plea agreement, you can't do a la carte. Like the prosecutors say to you, "Okay, look." you're getting five months instead of he could have got up to 15 years you're getting five months here you know that's a light sentence um but in exchange you have to cooperate with us fully anything we ask you you have to answer you can't say no you can't say maybe you can't say well i'll see so what alan weisselberg has basically done is he's gotten a deal that says yes i will testify against the trump organization if I'm asked, but he won't testify against Donald Trump. Now, to me, this is curious on a couple of levels, because first of all, what is the Trump organization if it's not Donald Trump? Mm. You know, I mean, it's it's not some abstract mythical thing. This organization has been run and controlled by Donald Trump, you know, for for since i suppose for 30 40 years easily more uh, so um so that, how do you, how do you square that circle how do you say okay i'll testify against the organization but not trump is he talking about testifying against other uh, people in the organization other accountants maybe other people who who may have buried you know may have may have done because the the problem with the organization is of course that it's been accused of all kinds of like tax evasion bank fraud insurance fraud like of basically very crudely like if they go to the bank saying this building is worth a billion dollars uh, and we want a loan and so we, we want to use this as collateral for a loan but then when they go to pay taxes they say this building is worth one dollar you know so i mean that, that's a very crude approximation yes. of, of what we're talking about here and and you know insurance purposes as well that there was a whole bunch of a, a kind of a, a spider's web of basically inflating and deflating prices and values to, to get the maximum benefit from tax benefits from insurance benefits and from bank loans so uh, this is this is what What's being investigated, but so will he? Will he testify about those, but refuse to say that Trump was the one who authorized it, or say that Trump even knew? And then you also have to think, and because you have to, you know, innocent until presumed guilty applies across the board. Is is this the agreement he reached? Because maybe Trump didn't know about some of this stuff. That there isn't, you know, everybody presumes always um, that Trump is always guilty. And usually it's because, you know, we've seen from legal 
legal actions in the past and all the settlements he's done and all that, it usually looks pretty much like he is. But if Trump wasn't aware of the minutiae of some of these things, if if Weisselberg was just, say, carrying on the tradition set by Fred Trump, Trump's father, who was also pretty notorious um, for cutting corners as a businessman, uh, is, is that why the prosecutors agreed to it? Or is it that the new um, Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, has his approach to the Trump family has been really strange. Uh, and and he dropped, you, you may remember a year ago, uh, there was a big investigation going on um, into yes. Trump and Cyrus Vance had, had, had um, done a lot of work, who was then the district attorney and Alton Bragg took over and he basically said, oh, we're not prosecuting that. Yeah. And two, two of the top prosecutors resigned. So obviously, Alvin Bragg would have signed off on this deal. Is he, for some reason, soft peddling? I don't know. I mean, as I say, the options are Alvin Bragg is, for whatever reason, um, capitulating to the Trump family and organization once again, uh, that that maybe Trump it did not do anything wrong in this context. And that's why there is nothing to get there. Or maybe it's it's just that this is a, a, a really weird and strange deal. And that Weisselberg said, like a good, you know, mafia made man, you know, I'll go to prison, I'll, I'll take the nickel, but I won't, I won't testify against the boss. And and so in which case you wonder, because obviously, if he had agreed to cooperate fully, he might have done no prison time, he might have just got off. So so this is clearly the agreement they came to. There was a sticking point somewhere behind the scenes. And we don't really know yet what it is or why. But it's something that I'm I'm just curious about. Yeah, God, it does raise questions, but that just seems like such a strange kind of turn of events in all of this, especially when you consider how long that investigation went on for before that retirement. And this seems like a turn in it. But as you say, that fine detail could hold everything and could change the direction of or the I guess the further capacity for the investigation to go further because as you say the Trump organization is the defendant Uh, but the hope was that it well I guess the hope in my mind was that it would extend to Donald Trump's involvement in it now if you're saying that he he would hold his hands up and go I employed the wrong guys and Alan Weisselberg is the real bad guy it nearly the case nearly then becomes look at isn't Donald Trump brilliant at rooting out these corporate baddies even within his own organization uh, it seems like this week we've watched him turn things that were were obviously um uh, critical of him yeah. to his benefit including oh, this affidavit so yeah, things that would absolutely have scuttled anyone else. I mean, for a former president to abscond with top secret documents and then lie about it and lie about it and then get his lawyers to sign a document lying about it, it's literally unprecedented. And yet he is making tens of millions of dollars every day on the back of his send me $45 or else the whole country's going to go to hell in a handcart. Um, you know, he, he sent out over 100 emails since this has happened. The money is coming in. in, in apparently it's coming in hand over fist. Wow. Wow. Well, we've got all of that to talk about in the second half of the show, including Marion's recommendation for the week. And I'll have to get your take on the Salman Rushdie uh, stabbing. I mean, 
all of this, so much happened. We recorded last week's show a little bit early so that I could get on the road last week. And then it just seemed like the shit hit the fan completely all across the world. And I guess you've experienced that in terms of newspapers where we've got to get the deadline a little bit earlier. And then you curse your luck when you when you do that. But there is a lot to talk about and you can hear it all every single week. A double size episode over on Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. If you're listening to this on YouTube, thank you for tuning in over there. But you can get access to all of our podcasts going back the last nine years. All the big interviews on Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad for as little as a fiver a month. Ready? You have the cameras rolling. This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.